0: Welcome to my den. If you're a curious person like me, you might be wondering, what is the state of job hunting and recruiting like in other parts of the world? I'm here in South America right now, but of course, my hometown is in North Carolina. And what I see all around me is just this struggle for talent with companies going out of business by the by the day, it feels like. Uh, even large companies, not just small ones. And of course, with the massive layoffs happening in tech, it makes me wonder what's happening in England or Spain or today's topic, Ireland. My guest today is John Murphy. He is an executive coach and the best-selling author of 10 Key Traits of Top Business Leaders. John's here to give us a global perspective on the job market He's currently living in Dublin and has also lived in France and is an extensive traveler. Our conversation today is short and sweet, to the point, and we simply banter back and forth about what the state of recruiting, leadership, and the function of HR is like around the world. I hope you'll enjoy his unique perspective John's got a lot of experience working not only in corporate, but after he left to become a coach and a consultant. He's worked with Pfizer, Circle K, Merck, State Street Bank, and many other clients who look to him to help their businesses grow and their leaders thrive. So I'm excited for you to hear his tidbits today. Don't forget to join us if you haven't already at our free masterclass to help you become a top 1% employer of native digitals. You can register at hannahgwilliams.com forward slash get that shit. And now, without further ado, hang onto your seats or your time machines if you're cool like that, and join me in my living room with the amazing John Murphy. You're listening to Native Digital, Native Analog, the show where we unpack the collisions and commonalities between my generation and yours. I believe that if you don't have a Native Digital on your board of directors, your leadership team, or at least one you pay to pester you like a fly in your ear, your business won't survive. Let's change that today. All right, John. So I have a question to start start us out with here because you're in a completely different side of the world than I am. So I just have to ask, what's the state of recruiting in Ireland?
1: Well, the state of recruiting in Ireland is actually pretty healthy. I mean, it's 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 uh, um, the market is really hot. I mean, I I kind of live between Ireland and France and uh, so, if I look at both of those, but I mean Europe in terms of employment opportunities is fantastic in Ireland, in particular when you look at because with so many of the kind of global tech companies have you know um, either kind of a headquarters or some of the european headquarters in in dublin the the market is just you know really, really aggressive, great opportunities for young people and and you will find that you know it it has made Dublin such a very international city, um, and particularly in the in the city centre. You know, I mean, you walk around and you are very conscious that you're hearing you know so many different accents and languages being spoken. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a thriving city. It, it, the the economy is good, and uh, for people looking for jobs, yeah, it's great market.
0: That's good to hear because here in the US, oh my gosh, as you know, from working with clients in the US, it is just so, so topsy turvy, you know, just the ups and downs. And with, I believe if I get this number correct, there were 22,000 workers just in tech that were laid off in the last couple of months. It has just been absolutely insane. So are you all experiencing the same sort of um, employment market where there's, you know, really the power is in the employee's hand and people are just uh, companies are just struggling to find people?
1: Well, I think I think that the the, the power is very much in the employee and in the person that that, that's actually looking for a job, because what you're finding is that there's a big pressure on salaries um, and, you know, companies that are out there recruiting aggressively are offering Probably what you would say above market um, rates to people to attract them in, and of course for for organizations in that environment, the challenge is how do you do how do you retain them so I you know so many organizations are really really searching to ensure that they would retain the talent they have recruited i and I think also I mean and that's that's kind of at the 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 kind of the, the younger age, but also what's happening at the more senior level is that people that would, you know, perhaps not have been, particularly if they're working for for large organizations, that would be very, you know, traditionally it would be kind of hard to tempt them out of those organizations. But what you're seeing is that there are now opportunities because there are people who are coming in that are disruptors into, in, into their space. I mean, the the pharmaceutical industry is probably a fairly good example of that, where there have been real disruptors. And now those companies are, you know, attracting talent, very senior talent from the major players that probably in the past are less likely to have lost those senior people. So it's happening in different in different stages in people's career as well. And uh, so I think it's very much, you know, the, the challenge for the company is, yeah, get the talent and hang on to the talent.
0: So it sounds like what you're experiencing there is not that different from here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, I, and I think it is because I, I, th- I think what's happening is that you know markets now are kind of far less local. I mean, that's not totally true, but you know, but for certainly the 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 the, the global implications tend to kind of follow across the world, and certainly in the developed and in the um, the, the, the more affluent countries, I think the same thing is happening because you look around. If you look around the, the kind of the major economies around around Europe, you'd actually see the same thing. And uh, so I think there is that trend.
0: It makes sense. And I actually, at the very beginning of 2020, very beginning of of the COVID era, back in March, I my first thought or what I was predicting was we would start to see this global talent market that we've never seen before, or at least companies being willing to adopt. More global talent or remote hiring. And this was before anyone was really talking about the shift to remote work, et cetera, et cetera. So I so let me just ask you this. Do you see any major differences that I should be aware of between the the Dublin slash friend, you know, mark the markets in France and Ireland as compared to the US when it comes to talent?
1: no i i think the same things are applying because i think that that's that, that, that's what we're seeing because even i mean if you look at the generation that are being attracted into organizations they're viewing the marketplace not as their 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 home country they're viewing it much more that there is that there's a there's an international and a global market out there so you know and and also i think that what you know covid has as clearly has made remote working more acceptable it's not that it wasn't didn't exist before and but also i think that you know the, the 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 generation saying well listen you know it suits me to work from home and i have kind of a a hybrid um you know mix with it, with the way that i work so i don't i want to dictate the way that i want to work and i'm not going to be dictated to by the employer So even organizations and even, you know, kind of major international organizations who maybe would have had their headquarters, say, in, you know, in in New York or San Francisco or Paris or London, whatever it might be. And they would have said, okay well, when you get to a certain level, you need to actually the work needs to be done from from the head office. that has now completely changed. And now they're saying, no, you don't need to go to New York or you don't have to go to San Francisco or you don't have to relocate to Paris there is much greater flexibility so i think that you know so much has changed in in this time and i think you know organisations are i think generally i think they're struggling with it to to a very large extent and that's i'm not i'm not saying that as a criticism because i think it's understandable because nobody knows exactly where this kind of remote work work in the office where that's going to land Uh, And everybody is just kind of, including the employees, right? And and everybody is, I think, just trying to feel their way to find what's right. And I think that the challenge for many organizations is that they have, you know, not all employees work the same way. So, I mean, if you've got a manufacturing, you know, part of your business, well, then you can't have those, those people working from home. But then what pressure are they putting on the people in the who are kind of more office-based? Because you're seeing them saying, well, if we've got to go to the office, it's not fair that we've got to go to the, the, the factory and the, and the other staff have got to go, you know, can stay at home. So I think organizations are still, you know, trying to figure out exactly how they get this mix right. And, and, and you know, and I think it'll be interesting to see where everybody lands. But, you know, so it's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on employers. To find, you know, what's the right proposition for the for the workforce, and and also what they can, you know, what is the price band that they're going to be at? Because you know, salaries going up, you know, that is just pushing prices up. We're seeing inflation going up, you know. So there's somewhere there's going to be a a kind of a, a break point in it.
0: I heard you say a couple things there, John, and I'll I'll just preface this by saying. I am so tired, and I'm sure everyone right now is so tired about hearing this conversation about remote work, not remote work. And I actually, this is the first time on this podcast we've talked about this because it's we try to be legendarily different with the conversations we have here. Um, but what I want to say, what I heard from you, is I'm glad to hear the US is not the only place experiencing these problems. It's a global phenomenon, it's a global problem, and that's encouraging in one way, but I did want to ask you a little bit deeper about something you said. And actually, Chris Voss calls this the F word, meaning fair, the fair being the F word. You know, the fact that, that employees in every sphere of work and, and all of this now are just exchanging, uh, whether it's uh, words of, discontent or hatred or whatever, or given that situation you just described, if you have a manufacturing division and you have a corporate division and one can work from home and one can't, how do you, if you were working with a team and this question got brought up of what is fair, how do we treat our employees equitably? What would you say?
1: Yeah, well, I I, I think you've got to, I think you've got to stand back from it and try and and not make a one size fits all. Um, because, you know, if you do that, it's like trying to, you know, it's like to say, okay, we get the average of everything, right? And um, because the average of everything is just mediocrity for everybody, and it's a middle ground for everybody. So, I think that you've got to figure out, you know, what what is you know what what is fit for purpose, you know, and be, and, and look at the jobs and and not, you know, and and we've always had this kind of. And you know, it does come from the Industrial Revolution, where you know we had we kind of went towards more a, a kind of cookie cutter. Where here's the bans, here's the requirements, here's the benefits, and everything was done kind of in in a very broad sense. And then you kind of fit people into those categories, and that's how you got how you got rewarded, how you got categorized. And I think that what we've got to look for is much more. In the workplace, not about necessarily saying, "Okay, well, you have this, and then I need to have the same thing." Right? Is actually looking at the roles and being really clear what is the actual, what is the optimum way for that role to be set up for success. Right? And 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 then figure out how you actually make that right for that role, and then try and make it as Right for the because if you make it right for the role, then I think you actually get much closer towards what we call fair because it's not that we're trying fairness it doesn't mean that everybody is the same. It just means that it is equitable and it is reasonable for the different roles. So I think we've got to look at things instead of trying to put everybody into groups and 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 kind of make a Regulations and you know, kind of bans and all of that sort of stuff. I think we've just got to look at a bit more. Okay, what are the roles? What are the the expectations? What are the demands? What are the deliverables? What's the right environment for those roles? And 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 then you know, if you like, price it in the sense of from from. I don't mean just in terms of money, but in terms of the package that we're actually delivering to 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 the individuals, because. You can't make a one-size-fits-all. So I think you've got to be much more individual about it and much more flexible about it. And, you know, and, okay, you are going to have issues with that because if you look, for example, if you look at, um, you know, what what's happening with, with with some some strikes that are happening, particularly in Europe that I'm aware of, right? Again, the argument is that, you know, all of these people should be paid this amount, Right. And and the trade unions, you know, there's this battle. To be fair to the trade unions, they're trying to represent their members. So they're trying to get a common deal for everybody. But I just think that that goes against, you know, what people are really looking for in the main. And, of course, that is a generalization. And I accept that it is a generalization. But, I, you know, I think that, you know, when you get kind of industrial unrest, and you get unions negotiating, you just get that one-size-fits-all answer. And I think that just goes very much against the grain, particularly of the generation that's coming into the workforce, because they don't want to be grouped together as kind of, you know, just one, This here's a group, and you're all the same. And, and I think that we've just got to get a much more individual, which I, I appreciate and I accept is a challenge. But I think that that's where we've got to work towards, because... If we don't, we're going to, I think we're going to distance the very people that we're looking to just to, to attract into organizations, to stay in organizations, because we're actually, you know, almost operating to a median that is not actually the most attractive for people, particularly who are looking to be real high performers. So that was a very long-winded answer to your question.
0: No, I, I appreciate all of that because you bring up some really interesting points. And I'm curious if You have an example of a company doing this well. Because what I hear you saying, John, is equity doesn't mean that you treat everyone the same, equity means that you treat everyone individually for the roles that they are in for the experience, the skills, the talent that they bring to the table. And I couldn't agree more with you about unions. And of course, we experience the same problem here in the US, where there's almost these competing ideologies between do we unionize and give everyone the same rights or the same pay? Does that then end up encroaching on our ability as employers to give high performers, great wages or better wages because of their performance. So we're always going to be in that battle 100%. Um, but I think it's interesting that these conversations are happening globally. This It doesn't matter you know what currency you have, where you are in the world. It's the same exact problem. So anyway, do you have, do you know of any examples of a company that's doing this, has, has been able to strike a great balance of equity and personalization within this topic around fairness?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think, listen, the challenge is, Hannah, for very large global organizations, this is a bloody nightmare, right? I mean, it is absolutely, it, you know, I mean, and I don't think any organ, any global organization that I've come across will say that they have this cracked because for them to to try and tackle it is is just you know an extraordinary challenge i have worked with with kind of more kind of startup companies that have that have kind of brought that that kind of that culture into it where you know we we it is depending on the job you're doing the work you're doing the contribution you're making and um and and, and the value that you're bringing to to the organization so i've seen it in startups, I think that the, the larger organizations, because of the very nature of the structure, I think they do struggle with it. And they are, I see some organizations trying to actually make that better. And I've, I've seen signs in organizations where, you know, for example, where, you know, remuneration is, is, is being one of the things that is being included in remuneration is how you develop the talent, you know, that, the, the talent in your team will be reflected in in how you actually get paid. And I think that's very much a step in the right direction because otherwise it's always been linked to a kind of a revenue or growth or a profit or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with profit. I'm not decrying profit because you're not profitable. You don't have a business. But um, but I think that in terms of changing the culture in an organization, we need to change what people get rewarded for. and And I think that... I've seen the step in the right direction in terms of none of them large organizations who really are beginning to reward behavior and 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 taking responsibility for growing talent in the organization. And I think that's very much a step in the right direction. The, the other I thing that I say- I want to pause you here
0: for just a second, yeah. John, because I, I want to clarify here. So what you're basically saying is you've seen some organizations that are rewarding the ability to develop their talent or the the effort put into developing their talent equally with their revenue growth goals or are you saying they're rewarded instead of the traditional uh, metrics
1: well i I think what they' what they're trying to do is actually break the their the remuneration and and they're making it you know there are different elements to the remuneration right okay so so some of the remuneration might be well be linked to to uh, growth or profit or whatever some sort of revenue figure of one sort or another a number. But then other parts of it, instead of all of it being kind of linked exactly to that, they're actually looking at how can we actually break down the remuneration and reward behavior and reward, you know, kind of growth in people because, you know, because in this war for talent, you know, we, we just got to recognize that that's, that's, the, that's the battle that we're in and, and we, we've got to make sure that we're, we're putting the pressure and And rightfully so, on on ma- managers at all levels in the organization that they really need to focus on developing the talent that has come into the organization because that's building the that's building the future leaders and i And I applaud the organizations who are going down that that route and and I think that that is very much a step in the right direction i I think the other thing that I say is that I've never seen um kind of a remuneration scheme. That, that is perfect. I, I don't think there is one, uh, and I don't think that you'll ever kind of get one that's perfect. But I think what it is, you try to reward not only achievement in terms of the business growth, but also growth in the individual and growth of the people that are reporting to you as a leader.
0: That's helpful. And I I actually had um, Mike Kelly on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he was the VP of Talent and Organizational Development at Macy's a few years back. And he basically, one of the conversations that we had, not on the show, but offline, was about a team that he put together in HR. And this, to me, and I'd be curious to get your reactions on this, but he developed a team where traditionally within the organization, human resources is typically seen as, you know, the the kind of administrative thing you have to have, but it doesn't do that much innovative thinking, you know, that we all have that sort of mindset about HR, right? So what he did is he transformed the HR department into this innovative section of Macy's, that partnered with various business divisions to help them get their training programs up to speed when they were lacking or even proactively thinking ahead in terms of how do we empower them with resources, whether it's the the stores, the corporate side, the sales team, the B2B side, whatever it is, he was able to partner with them. And eventually what the different divisions started saying is, you know, Why are you doing this? Like, why are you not sitting back and just doing what every other HR team does, which is you know process paperwork and put out job descriptions and all of that? Well, we were having this conversation, and it 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 really sparked to mind this idea that we're talking about right now, which is what they were able to do at Macy's was start linking the compensation of that team of this HR team two their ability to train and upskill other divisions of the of the company rather than just be an administrative cost that's just this you know separated bucket so anyway my question for you is is that an example of what you're talking about where the leaders in HR are are essentially their their compensation their growth is all tied to their ability to equip and train others with skills they may have not had
1: yeah, because I I I think I think it's a great I think it's a great concept. I also think that you know, in 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 a sense of you're right in saying that so many, in so many organizations, HR is looked firstly as a cost, right, um, and also it's a gatekeeper, right, and 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 it just keeps score of various different things, and and I think that the the HR departments that are really looking at how can we add value, how can we make a contribution to the business. And how can we really be leaders in the organization and be, you know, because if you look at the HR function, they should be, you know, the, the best in class. That, that really, when you think about it, because that's what they're advocating, they should be best in class. And very often you find that they're not. And, and I think that the, the organization for the HR department to say, where do we actually add real value? To the future of this business, right? And if we actually say that that HR is very much linked to the, the talent attraction, acquisition, and retention, it's not just for a, the HR department, but that's you know a core part of them, then how are they adding value to to ensure that we are doing precisely that and we're optimizing the opportunity for people? Because you know, if, if you go back a number of years, people joined organization. When I started working, a lot of people joined organizations and they might have looked at it as this. I, I was going to be here for the rest of my life. Right. Nobody is, is looking at that right now. So it's not about, you know, what I'm going to get when, you know, I get the gold watch on the, the clock or whatever it might be. Right. It, it's actually what is the organization if I'm coming in? What is the organization going to do to invest in me and my growth? for the period of time, whether it's three years or five, or whatever it might be, that I'm going to be there. And then what am I contributing? And I think that, you know, functions within organizations and not just HR, but I think functions in, in organizations that, you know, are big cost centers and HR functions, finance functions, IT functions, you know, all of these are big costs in organizations. They've really got to shift their mindset to be, where are we adding value? And 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 I think that if you go back, if if you go back to what I was talking about when you talk about leadership, right? I think one of the one of the most challenging questions to ask yourself, and and you know, and having having been you know in the corporate world and uh, in in a senior role in the corporate world, I think to ask yourself the question as a leader because you you know you your the name of manager comes can come with your title, right? But leader doesn't come with your title, right? And, and I think the question to ask yourself is that, you know, what is it about me that makes me a leader worth following, right? And I think that's a really challenging question for anybody in a leadership position to ask. And, but I think it's the same question about whether it's the HR function, the finance function, or the IT function, you know, what is it that we are doing that we're adding real value and that the organization is so much better off not just about the process and the structure and all of that but we're adding actually adding real value to the people in the organization and the the growth of the organization and i think that's a very different mindset as opposed to i you know i process stuff or i build infrastructure or i you know map out process and that's what i do Fine, if you do that, but where is it adding value? And if you don't, if you can't answer that, then why are you doing it?
0: Thank you for that. I agree. That's such an important question, and it it is a a good segue into where I want to head us next. Which is, I know you work with a lot of different teams and. Many different sized organizations, and like you said, some are in the U.S., some are in Ireland. I'm assuming you work in other countries as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> global teams, global teams across the world. So, I had this thought pop to mind the other day, which is, you know, how many leadership books are out there, John? How many books about teams? How many people may or may not be experts in in those topics, and yet are writing books or having podcasts or blogs or whatever it is on this subject. And something I've noticed is it seems like everyone who wants to be a leadership consultant can be. And not many people are asking questions. Like, what qualifies you for that? Who can, you know, who on your team would have vouched for you and said, oh my gosh, you know, uh, Sally was the best leader I ever had, and here's why. So my question to you, John, is what is an unpopular opinion about leadership or management or building teams that you have that maybe other you know consultants or practitioners would not share with you with as in they would not have the same opinion you do because what you're saying is disruptive and unpopular
1: well i i think that you know one of the things that you that you've got to do i mean one of the reasons that yeah you know, in in terms of from my own experience one of the reasons that i I've been able to 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 work with teams because at the end of the day, Hannah, you know, it's all very well going into a room with a team, but the the question in everybody's in everybody's mind is, well, why should I listen to him or her, right? In in whatever whoever it is, and and I think the fact that you know I've been there and I've done that, I've been a CEO of an organization. I think that does help in terms of establishing the initial credibility but that's that's just the starting point right to me it's about creating the environment to have the conversations that we need to have right there is there yeah. You know, i mean i think we can make running teams and running businesses very complex if we want right at the end of the day it is about people right you don't you know if you're looking at a project if you're looking at a business if you're looking at you know, either of those two you say okay well we drive the business yes you drive the business but actually the most the most the most important thing is to have a team that that is driving the business so it's the team that's important in the same way we talk about in a project right the project is is the project will kind of win or lose based on the quality of the team and how the team works together to 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 actually deliver on it So, it always comes down to looking at the team that you're asking to deliver and really challenging that team to drive itself to be a really high-performing team. And one of the things that I would say to anybody is that we all say we want to belong to a high-performing team, right? And and if if you if in your career you have actually worked in a high performing team i think you're very you're very fortunate because there aren't that many really high performing teams around the place there are there are a number and i've been fortunate to work with some of them and but when you look at what defines a high performing team it's not it's not a kind of a, a kumbaya and you know we all love each other and you know we're tree hugging and you know we all go out and we've we've got fun and jokes the whole time. I'm not saying you don't have any of that, right? But the one of the the, the couple of hallmarks of a really high performing team is one, they hold each other accountable to a very high standard of 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 delivery, right? If you make a commitment, you better deliver on it, right? It's not a place for the faint-hearted. The second thing that it is that it is is that it, it, it handles conflict really well. Um, it's able to have it. It's able to deal with the issues, and it's not personal, but you've got to be robust enough that you are going to be challenged. So it's not a happy, clappy place, right? It's a challenging place. Now, it's wonderful to work in it, but it is not for the faint-hearted. And I think that one of the reasons that when I work with clients that I really hold people accountable to what they say that they're going to do and I hold them accountable to doing it. And, and you know, and if somebody, goes, well, I was a bit busy, well, tough, that's, you know, you knew you were going to be busy. You knew you weren't going to be walking around with your hands in your pockets, right? So you knew you were going to be busy, so what are you going to do? So I think it's really then getting into a team and getting them to focus on how do we need to behave as a team? And to challenge always with the team. There are a couple of things that I would always, you know, kind of really, really, uh, what I refer to as kind of the seven O's in, in, in a team, right? Is that do I have the right people, you know, do I have the right people in the right rows, doing the right work in the right way, with the right resources, delivering the right results, right? And, and I think that, you know, you've got to constantly, and that's, that's dynamic, Hannah. That doesn't just because it it depends on when you talk about the right people in the right roles, doing the right work in the right way, delivering the right results and all of that, right? It very much depends on the context of what you're actually trying to achieve, right? So you've got to understand, you've got to always constantly challenge have you got the right people? Not that you' necessarily made the wrong people doing the right people in the right roles, right? And are the team doing the right work and does a team understand? When I say what the right work is, do they actually understand what they mean by the right work? Because one of the big challenges that organizations face and teams face is actually aligning on priorities. Okay. And to me, people talk, okay, there's a great skill and art in prioritization. And I I agree to an extent. I think there's a more important skill in the art of deprioritization. Because what happens so often is that you and I can sit down in an organization a day, Hannah, and we will agree, here's our top five priorities. Okay, easy, right? But then next week, somebody comes along and say, hey, listen, this is really important. And then somebody else comes along and say, hey, this is really important. Now we've gone from five priorities to eight priorities, but no one has the conversation and say, well, hang on a second. You know, do we deprioritize any of these? Because there's certainly, there's a capacity to do things. And if you've got end up with kind of seven, eight, nine, ten 10 priorities, actually you've none, right? You've just got yeah, a to-do list. Let me list.
0: actually dig into that a little bit deeper because I was just speaking with a friend this week about this very topic. So let me throw out this scenario to you. Speaking of priorities, so this friend of mine works in an organization that's about 2,500 employees and he is a data analyst. And part of his job is putting together all the data from all their customers and using it to make insights that then, then are delivered to the executive team and they should be using it to make business decisions, right? Yeah. Well, here's the situation that happened. And granted, this is a person, my friend, who has fewer than two years of work experience. He's, he's new, right? He's there to learn and to be mentored and to understand this environment. Well, he got a list from their vice president of their KPIs for this fiscal year. And there were over 40 KPIs. Over 40. I hear your, your little snarl there. It's like, Oh my gosh, how in the world? Yeah. How, how can, how can an organization have that many KPIs, right? There's no KPIs. So he comes to me and we're, we're kind of venting about this whole situation. And he said, how can I, as someone who has two years in, in corporate go to my, my, my my vice president, who's got, you know, 20 plus years of experience in this and tell him, I'm sorry, but if we have over over 40 KPIs, we have nothing. I mean, these KPIs were down to the ticker data on how much revenue is coming into this attraction, right? And, and so he's faced with this situation now of he's in a position where he's being asked to do way too much work for these small little KPIs that are no longer KPIs. They're more like informative data. And so what you have in the organization is top-level leadership that's saying, you need to get us revenue by day tickers on our dashboard that we can look at. When my friend here is saying, no, you should be steering the ship. You should be looking at my insights and my team of data analysts' insights and making business decisions on those, not looking at the minutiae of revenue data and ticket data. You should be looking at why, for example, has our uh, Gen Z demographic, why are they only 1% of our customers? So he's experiencing this dichotomy between leadership that has very little seemingly ability to prioritize what is meaningful or actually directive. And instead, they're sticking their fingers into every minutia of what the data team was hired to do. So give me give me give me some insight in this situation. If you were my friend, we'll kind of take this in two parts. If you were my friend, what would you be thinking about or saying to leadership to try to guide them? And then we'll take the flip side, which is if you were the leadership, what should you also be aware of when you're coming up with these KPIs?
1: Well, let, let, me, let me talk about, your, let me t- take your, your friend first of all. I mean, if, if, if your friend there is two years in the organization, I am making an assumption that he's got a manager or a number of managers that are between him and the vice president, right? Yes, two. Um, and I think that for, 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 is it him? Is it him or her? It's him. Um, yeah, okay. For him, we can him. We
0: can give him a name. Let's say his name is Colt.
1: Okay, coat. So, for coat to go directly to the above his two managers directly to the vice president, I wouldn't recommend it, right? Um, as uh, from a career advancement perspective, but I think that what he can do is actually talk to his line his line manager, and say, "Listen, hold on a second. I'm being asked to do this. You know, does this actually make sense?" Now, that's as much as coat can do in that in 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 that environment, because the issue is not coat right and that the, the problem is not code the problem is actually with the leadership team um if if what he's saying is right and that they are you know not looking at the data not interpreting the data and and having far too many priorities so if i was if i was working with a team and they say okay we've got you know 18 priorities i was saying you know you just simply can't have 18 priorities you know we've got to work through a process to say okay Let's actually break it down whether it's three, four or five, whatever it might be. But we're miles away from having 18 because the problem that you have in an organization is that if there's a lack of ability to prioritize at a very, at the highest level in the organization, however confusing it might be at the, at the highest level, it gets exaggerated and amplified as it goes down through the organization and it creates havoc and chaos, Right but you've got to sort it out where the, the the problem resides. And the problem resides there with the senior leadership team and getting that team focused on what it actually understands to be. What are the key drivers? What are the things that are going to matter? Because, you know, with any, every organization and it doesn't matter whether you're a corner store or you're a Coca-Cola, right? There's a finite amount of resource and that finite amount of resource has got to be pointed at this the small number the smaller number of things that are going to matter the most. If you get those right, then fine, you're 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 on track to achieve. And I always kind of go back to the, the Warren Buffett principle. I always think if it's good enough for Warren Buffett, it's probably good enough for me too. And he would say that you know in any business, you know, irrespective of size, there are probably five or six things that you need to have on your dashboard, right? If you if if they are assuming they are the right five or six, and that is a question, right? Assuming they are the right five or six, but if you keep those going forward in the right way, the chances are you'll have a successful business, right? There will always be some things that are not right. There will always be things that are not perfect. There's always some things that you've got to do that you've got to fix and go do that. But if you're, you know, going back to Stephen Covey, make the main thing the main thing, right? And And, and that plays into that about really being, re- really being, tenacious about you know the prioritization and ensuring that you just really drill into that and you don't compromise on it. I worked with a team some time ago, Hannah, where we were talking about the prioritization and we were kind of trying to get it down to three or four. But one of the issues was the team was about you know 10 people and 10 different functions. But the issue was a political thing that some of those people, if we actually ended up with three or four priorities, some of those functions weren't represented in the three or four key priorities. And that was just kind of, wash, we can't do that, right? Because how is, you know, how is Johnny going to feel if his function isn't represented in the top three or four priorities? But the fact of the matter is that, you know, if you start doing it to, to make sure that everybody is, you know, everyone gets, everyone's in the boat, Right then you just don't have anything. You end up with these far too many priorities that actually everybody knows is not real, right? So consequently, we don't focus on it. Whereas if we do it right, then we bring focus to the organization. And bringing focus to the organization is going back to what I was saying about my seven hours. You're doing the right work, you're doing it the right way, and you're delivering the right the, the right results. And 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 that's what you've got to do in a team.
0: So what I'm hearing you say... John, is in this particular example, it is harder as a leader to make the decision, the hard political decision, to reduce those priorities to the top three, four, or five instead of ending up with, it sounds like the company you gave as an example is very similar to, one, to the one I gave with my friend, where there's so many leaders around a the table, they're feeling like their priorities are not getting added to the main strategic plan. And it's creating the the list of the 40 KPIs. So I I guess my just final question on this particular topic is, if you were working with that team, the, the leadership team who has the 40 KPIs, what would be your North Star advice? Like that, what would you say to them to help them Realize that forty KPIs is creating no KPIs because the rest of their teams are confused.
1: Well, I think that it's going to be very easy to show the confusion because you actually, you know, if they do any sort of poll within their team where they've got that that number, of, they're going to get very quick feedback that they're going to get it. But I think where I start was that you, you know, instead of actually saying, "Okay, well it's wrong and you got to cut it back," I think it's actually coming back and saying, "Okay." Let's have a conversation about what's our vision, what's the vision of the organization and to get real clarity on what the vision is, right? And the vision and the and the mission and and and, and go through that exercise and then say, okay, so then what's the strategy to, to deliver on the on, on on the vision and then to really work through that and say, okay, what are the what are the real drivers of that strategy? right and that helps you to get to get to the 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 priorities because if you have identified what are the key drivers then it's much more simple and more straightforward to actually identify what your priorities so you're really going to go to do a top down and really really make sure that people are connected back to what is the vision what does the mission of the organization what is the strategy and what are the, what are the things that we're going to measure that, the, the success of that strategy by? And you're not going to be measuring it by 40 different things, right? You've actually got to come down and say, okay, what are, to go back to the Warren Buffett, what are the five or six things that we need to have in our dashboard? And then that's how you actually define the priorities. And so you do it from top down rather than trying to do a bottom up. Because if you do it from bottom up, you're going to actually end up somewhat with just a collection of different stuff that's representing every function and then you're trying to cut out and it's actually much better to do it from top down but really drive the organization to to understand that you know it is about making sure that we're focused and you know you go back to the steve jobs quote you know focus is about saying no it's not about saying yes focus is about saying no so what are the things that we're actually going to you know really drive forward that we know that if we drive those we have a very good chance of having a successful business. And we put the energy and the drive and the focus of the leadership team, but you've got to get the leadership team to actually function as a leadership team, as opposed to a group of individuals who represent different functions within the organization. So they've got to wear, and this is a challenge for many, many leadership teams, Hannah, is that when they're sitting at the leadership team table, They're not just sitting there wearing their functional hat. Sometimes they they, they do sit there with their functional hat and that's appropriate. But they also have to be able to put on the hat of being a member of this leadership team that is driving the business. And I make decisions based on that first and foremost. And after that, it's my function, not the other way around.
0: I appreciate that. And you're right. It's such a simple concept and everyone who has ever written a leadership book will say that, right? Start with vision, start with mission, prioritize from there. And yet I watch so many teams that I've either worked on or have friends who are working with, you know, with that team across industries, really struggle with that really, really struggle to prioritize. And, uh, it, it, doesn't blow my mind but at the same time you know as a young person who has decided not to climb a corporate path that ends <laughs> ends me up in that leadership position even though everywhere i've worked has attempted to do so i see droves of my generation exiting corporate because of lacking leadership like that they're not looking to a captain they're instead looking to a bunch of deckhands who are all trying to make functional decisions and it can be frustrating to be under that that type of leadership.
1: Yeah, so- I think that I think kind of just to, to kind of finish on that point, I think that one of the challenges is that we, you know, organizations are challenged with actually being really clear about what are the important things that need to happen in order to do, to, to, to deliver on the strategy. And and it becomes political, it becomes siloed, and it becomes about territory and control. And and that's where you begin to lose sight of it. So it's very much down to shifting culture that you need to do in order to get that conversation going the right way.
0: Well, that leads us right into the place I want to take us last. And I really, John, would love to learn more about you personally, because we, we've gone for 45 minutes here talking about strategy and business, which is all fantastic. But I'm really curious just about your childhood and how it compares to what I've experienced in the world. I'm really just curious to get your observations on what are some things about you, the way you grew up, and the way you either how you were educated, or maybe it was your first job. What's different from how you grew up from what you see or observe happening with your remind me, do you have kids and grandkids? I do
1: I have three daughters. Yeah. Oh,
0: Amazing. So yeah. what's what's different from your what was in your childhood versus what was in theirs?
1: well i i think i mean you know i mean i'm i'm at that age where when you when you when you left school or left college you know you just got a job right and you you went and you and 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 to be honest with you it, you were you were grateful for the job right which sounds awful when i say it that way but that that that's actually largely true and uh, and and of course at that time you went into organizations and there was still at that time you know, very much, and, and you still see it in organizations now—a kind of command and control. So you did what you were told, right? I really wasn't asked my opinion about anything. I was just—I was just told what to do. I, and you know, okay, you survived and all that, but I think it's so much healthier today. That you know, it's a very different—it's a very different approach. It's a very different mindset you know it's not that it's not that people aren't grateful for jobs but it's not the same way right because it's much more a two-way street that you know this is this is good for both of us and we got to make sure that it's good for both of us when i started it was just yes you should be grateful to have a job so i think that you know that shift is very different and 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 i think that it's a, it's a really good and healthy shift i think the challenge that it's creating is that it's ended up with a lot of you know, people joining organisations who are being managed by people who came from a very different place and don't quite understand that, and are challenged by that thinking. But I think that if we look at the workforce that's coming in to organisations now, uh, I think they're they're more mature by and large. They're more worldly, I'd say as well. They are better educated, probably as well. But they also have, uh, they also want to be engaged with something meaningful as opposed to just give me a job right and i think that's great i think it's fantastic i think it's a, it's a, it's a real shift that is that is wonderful i think the challenge for some organisations is actually just managing that and uh, but i do think that the difference is i think the difference is chalk and cheese and, and and i welcome it i think it's i think it's a much better environment i think it's 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 a much better contract between the employee and employer today, it's a much more level and healthy relationship um, because there are responsibilities on both sides to deliver different things, but to deliver. And, and, and I think that's really good. I think the organizations who are acknowledging that, and many are, I think the organizations are acknowledging that are thriving, um, and the organizations who are not are struggling.
0: I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's interesting as you were describing that, it reminded me of an interview I had a couple weeks ago with a, a gentleman who he is Dutch and he is basically his topic and what he's writing and researching and developing is this new philosophy of how humans will eventually work with AI. How do you lead AI, you know, such an interesting conversation that could be a whole different hour.
1: Wow, there's a topic.
0: (laughs) Yes, but basically, what he was describing is AI has the potential to make the world five to 10 times wealthier than it is now. And we saw the same thing happen with the internet, right? So, with the advent of the internet, you have all these smaller companies that are able to start and they're creating all of this economic opportunity and job opportunity. And so, thinking about, you know, the shift you described from you were grateful to have a job and now employees native digitals, literally anyone at work, but especially native digitals whose first job they have so many options and there's mm. so much opportunity. It just makes me, you know, want to hearken back to the fact that there are always two sides of a coin, right? You've got these people, native digitals who have so many employment options. Because the world is so much wealthier because of the internet. And we're going to be faced with that new horizon again, when we're leading artificial intelligence, when artificial intelligence is, you know, replacing like it already is virtual assistants, or eventually when we have robots replacing manufacturing jobs and technical positions and, and all of those things. And so I, I'm curious to see what will happen fast forward 50 years when someone asks all me right. the same question, <laughs> of what was it like when you were first getting yeah, a job uh, versus now? And, and that whole entire environment is going to shift yet again.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at AI and I mean, I won't, I won't pretend to have any expertise in that space, right? Um, but I mean, all I know is that it is just going to be so transformative. Um, and so exciting. Right. And uh, but it, again, it will be that other massive pivot in terms of the way the way the, the employer employee relationship and the way business is, is, is done.
0: Well, I've so enjoyed this conversation, John, and thank you for joining me so late from Ireland. I'm sure you have to do, you probably wake up at noon every day to coach all your clients in the U.S. I don't know how you, how you deal with that, but anyway, I have so enjoyed this conversation and yeah, I'm grateful that we can have these discussions in between generations about what comes next and how we lead teams and how we have empathy for people. So appreciate you being a part of this.
1: Well, Hannah, thank you for the invitation. Um I've I've enjoyed having you on my podcast. I think the work that you're doing is phenomenal. Um and uh, and I certainly encourage you to kind of you know stick to your 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 principles, stick to what you your, your, what what you really believe in because I think you're I think you're very much on that path and I think that you add an awful lot of value to the organizations that you work with. So, I'm grateful to be here. It was lovely to have the conversation.
0: Thanks for listening to the Native Digital, Native Analog Show. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. If you're looking to connect and talk more about attracting and retaining Native Digitals, you can reach me at hannahgwilliams.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.